and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Win-Win Podcast by Highspot. Join us as we dive into changing trends in the workplace and how to navigate them successfully. I'm your host, Marissa Benro. Through my work as a content marketer, I've spent a lot of time thinking about what content people prefer to consume. What did I find? Well, best practices and research are very popular across the board. So each episode of this podcast will provide insights and best practices on emerging trends to help you stay ahead of the curve. Today, we'll discuss how the impact of COVID-19 has forced many organizations to reevaluate the effectiveness of their revenue engine and how to move forward. To help us unpack this topic, I've invited my colleague, Steve Hollowell, Highspot's VP of Strategic Services, to be our first guest. Welcome, Steve, and thank you for joining us. Can you introduce yourself and your role to the audience? Hi, Marissa. Thank you so much for having me. So as you said, I'm I'm Steve Hallowell. I lead strategic services here at Highspot. My background is that I led sales enablement operations and strategy teams at a number of high growth technology companies over the past decade. And I recently joined Highspot to help our customers really benefit from uh, some of the best practices out there, both across our customer base and across the industry. Perfect. Thank you, Steve. I think we can all agree that 2020 has forced a lot of companies to do an internal audit of what's working, what's not, and ways that they can continue to drive revenue. And because of this, I felt that it was only right that the first episode of this podcast cover the strategic enablement framework. What is it? What is the path to mastery? And how can people get started? So Steve, can you start by telling us a little bit about the strategic enablement framework and what it is? Sure. Yeah. Thank you, Marissa. So You know, to step back, I'd first start with what is the strategic enablement framework uh, trying to drive? And really, it's about trying to drive consistent performance. And I don't necessarily mean, you know, one person being consistent, though that's a good thing, too. But what I mean is that we have across your team, you have you may have some people who are doing particularly well, but that most people are doing somewhere around what you would expect. Um, And to draw a contrast here. In many organizations that I look at, this is true for, I think, a very high percentage of sales organizations, you have a few people who are doing really, really well, but you have many more people who are actually struggling. So it's not that they're just a little bit below quota, they're actually a lot below. Um, And that's a a really unhealthy dynamic for, for many, many reasons. You know, you can imagine these are people who are all consuming marketing resources, they're using SDR time, they're using... Uh, time from your your technical sales team, sales leadership, and yet they're not turning that into productive value in terms of actually being successful in their sales endeavors. From a morale standpoint, now you have a whole bunch of people that are not being nearly as successful as they could be. That's no fun for anybody. It's certainly not helpful for the careers of those folks. And so again, when you kind of step back, if you have a situation where some people are doing really well, a bunch of people are struggling, that's not where we want to be it does tell us that it's possible to do well. And so if some people are doing well, that says, hey, there is a path to success here. And what we want to do is be able to turn this into a situation where most people, the bulk of people are doing what we would call, you know, kind of reasonably well. Maybe they're a little above quota, maybe they're a little below quota, but it's solid, healthy performance. And the number of underperformers is much less. So we really want it to look like, you know, sort of a bell curve, the way we would imagine it would be. So again, in many cases, uh, in the vast majority of cases, in fact, that's actually not what the performance of the team looks like. The strategic enablement framework is something that, that we developed as we looked across our customer base and seeing what the very best customers are doing. There are really two things that the very best customers are doing. And they sound really simple. They're just hard to do in practice. 
One of them is defining the winning behavior. So defining the things that those best people, the people who are succeeding are doing. Second is systematically helping people master those behaviors. So it doesn't do us any good to define what the best people are doing if nobody can actually go replicate that. Part of the art there is in defining the behaviors granularly enough, you know, crisply enough that we can actually operationalize them. Part of that is about having a really robust way to make sure that you know, no seller is left behind, if you will, that we're bringing everybody along with us, that everybody is learning the key things that matter, or we figure out how to teach them better so that everybody eventually gets there. That's awesome. Thank you, Steve. One question that I have is how do you measure impact? How do you even know what areas to focus on for metrics of success and you know, key indicators for continuous performance? Sure. So you know, let me start with a little context, which is that, you know, so often in companies, we see that there's a big difference between the folks who are performing really, really well and everybody else. And very often, and this was true before COVID, I think COVID has not helped this trend. The size of the group of people that's doing really, really well is much smaller than the group of people who are struggling. I think we all kind of assume that most people are somewhere in the middle, but unfortunately, in many companies, the bulk of the people are actually out on the left in terms of the people who are, who are most struggling. And so the opportunity for businesses, though, is that because we have some people doing well, let's figure out what those people are doing and get the rest of the folks in our company to do those things. The reality of actually making this happen um, is often pretty challenging. It's one of these things that is incredibly valuable. I think everybody wants to do it, and yet it can be really hard to do in real life. And so the strategic enablement framework is really a roadmap for how to do this. It's a tried and true been applied many times. And if you follow this framework, you really can change the shape of the curve of performance in your organization and go from a situation where many people are underperforming to a situation where most people are really doing quite well. And, um, you know, with all the benefit that comes from that, which is you no longer have this big, big drag on uh, performance across the organization. You no longer have a lot of people who are just failing to live up to their potential. Really, you have most people performing well, driving in financial return and driving the growth of the business forward. Is there a specific term that you use when thinking of how you phrase closing this gap and what it is? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Marissa. And it's interesting because I hear this question asked in different ways by different people, but it actually all comes down to the same thing. So one question that I'll hear come up is an enablement leader saying, hey, how do I measure the impact of my enablement program? It can also come, though, if you think about a very different altitude in the company, um, let's say you have somebody on the board who's saying, hey, I have a company that's growing quite nicely, but should I be high-fiving the go-to-market organization because they are just killing it? Or... Do we need to up-level our game because we're leaving something on the table? And, you know, especially in the world that I come from of high-growth companies, let's say you have a company growing at 50% a year. Is that phenomenal? Or should that company be growing at 100%? And I actually think this framework can be applied to both audiences to say, are we really taking full advantage of the market opportunity ahead of us and using all the investments we're making, not only in our sellers, but in all the people who surround our sellers, the marketing team, the SDRs, the SEs or SCs, your customer success folks, your account managers, are we bringing the full weight of that company to bear in an effective way or not? And that comes back to this notion of consistency. How many people, if I look at, let's say, quota attainment, if that's the metric I care about, um, and we'll talk about some other metrics in a minute, but if we say quota attainment is the thing that matters, how many people are blowing their quota out? How many people are a little bit above quota? 
how many people are a little bit below or how many people are really struggling. And if I put people into those buckets, what does the ratio look like across those buckets? And so if I see that most people are kind of in the middle of that, hey, I'm doing really well. Again, the reality for most companies, though, is that that's actually not the case, that far too many people are over in the I'm struggling bucket. And that says to me that the organization as a whole has not figured out how to make its people successful. So you can look at this in in overall quota attainment, but you can also look at this in more specific things, like maybe how quickly folks ramp is a big issue for you if you're a fast growing company. Then you can look at it in terms of how much business do people close in their first year. And usually when people say they have a ramp challenge, it's not that nobody's ramping quickly. It's that some people are, but a bunch of people aren't. And so there's, again, a disparity between sort of the haves and have nots. Right. So, you know, again, it's one of these things that can sound really simple um, and is can be harder to do in practice, which is step one, do I know what those best people are doing? And this is something that I, you know, I think, um, you know, for a lot of companies, you, just, hey, you say, hey, what do your best people do? And you'll get an answer. But sometimes that answer isn't specific enough that you can operationalize it. And, and so a situation that I've certainly been in in leading an enablement team is, let's say a head of sales comes to me and says, hey, Steve, go make our people Go make our people better. You know, we, we want better performance. What should I train them to do? What do you want them to do differently? And it's just not really clear. When you actually get to the level of, let me go run a program to help people get better, you don't really know where to start. So it's sort of like um, trying to scale a pile of mush. If I have just this nondescript pile of something and I want more of it, well, how am I ever going to copy it? Because I don't even know where I'm starting. So the, the first task really is, do I even know what the best people do? And have I defined that in a way that's clear enough and crisp enough that I can really operationalize those things and I have the blueprint for what I want to replicate? I was just going to say, I think that that defines so much of the pain points for a lot of a lot of professionals. You know, go do this and do it better. Well, what is this? What does success look like? And if I come back to you and proved in one area... Was that the area that was most important and going to have the most business impact? So I think getting very clear on expectations of what good looks like and areas that you've clearly identified need work and are going to have the most impact is extremely important before even starting because you don't want to get too far into it and realize you focused all this time and energy on something that no one wanted to change. You have to put the mush in a box so that you at least know you want it to have four sides, right? Um, Instead of, no, I wanted it to be a circle or a triangle instead. Yeah. You know, I think something that you see often is that sales leaders will actually sort of over-delegate to enablement. They hire an enablement leader. They're super psyched with you. You know, they can't wait to see what, you know, we can all go do now that we have a, you know, strong enablement team, but not recognizing that there are certain things that, that the enablement leader just simply can't solve by themselves. And, you know, so part of defining a set of winning behaviors, for example, is are we really clear about what we want our sales team members to accomplish and are managers tracking whether those things are happening and then holding people accountable and coaching them when they're not? that's something that there's a lot of work by the sales leadership team to do there. Enablement can facilitate, but they can't fully own it. Right. Or similarly, are we arming our salespeople with the right uh, content to support having the conversations that we need to have? In most companies, product marketing has a lot to say about that content and the messaging in that content. Mm -hmm. And if there isn't the right alignment across product marketing, sales and sales enablement, or product marketing doesn't have the right vision for what they really need to build that will help fill that need and really provide the right um, uh, milestone, if you will, or or, or guidance for your seller, 
Enablement can do a, you know, knock it out of the park on the downstream efforts. But if you're not enabling on the right thing, it's not going to help. That absolutely makes sense. And I heard you kind of mention training and coaching a couple of times. How exactly does training and coaching fit into this framework? And, you know, where is it most important to expect training and coaching to have a real impact? Or what are key metrics or indicators to expect from training and coaching to make sure that you really get the most out of it? You know, early on, like you said, downstream, that's not when you're recognizing something has gone wrong. So that's a great question. And and I think I'd start with, you know, when we're talking about consistent performance, there are two things that lead to consistent performance. The first that we were just talking about was defining the winning behaviors. Then we also need to systematically help the team master those behaviors. And that's one of the places that training and coaching fits in. And so, um, you know, one of the other things I see is that even if we know, maybe we, we haven't defined all our winning behaviors, but we have at least one thing that we say we know it's really important for our teams to go do this thing And a very common example of that, for instance, is we know we need our teams to do better business discovery, that we need them before we get too deep into talking about our product, we need to understand the business challenges that we're going to be solving. You know, let's say that that's the thing that I want people to go do. Many enablement teams will kind of go through the normal things that an enablement organization can control to help with that. First, maybe they publish some discovery questions. Perhaps they wrap some some guidance around that of here's when and how to use those assets and materials. And that can be wonderful for somebody who is really self-motivated to grab those discovery questions, say, this is great. I know when, when to use them and I'm off to the races. But, you know, the reality is that for most of us, as we're learning something new, we need more than that to get good at, at doing something. We need some real structure to our training to be able to learn a new concept. We need to be able to practice it and build confidence before we go use it with a customer in what can feel like a pretty high pressure environment. And lastly, we need, you know, we need somebody to hold us accountable for actually going to do it and providing us with the right support when we're out there in front of a customer. So, you know, this is where the role of the frontline manager really comes in. And if as an enablement team, you know, I do a wonderful job putting the right content out there. I get the content, I source, I source the material, I package it really well, I make sure everybody knows about it. I even build great training around it. I hold an awesome training session that everybody loves. I may still fail in the objective of getting the whole team to do it consistently because there's this, this extra missing piece on the path to mastery of, am I creating accountability in the field for doing that thing? Are my frontline managers plugged in? Do they see it as being important? And are they providing the right coaching and support when I'm actually out there with customers? I think that accountability and visibility piece is often overlooked. There's a box that's going to get checked of if you did it or didn't do it, but it's so much more than that, right? Accountability is more than saying, did you do it? Did you not do it? But are you on a daily consistent basis, practicing and using the behaviors that we've taught you because we know it works and we're asking you to change behaviors and for you to do these specific things for a reason and accountability isn't translated. There's no open loop of feedback because that not only gives you visibility, but also holds the person accountable to say, I've tried it. This is, you know, the success I'm seeing, or I'm not seeing any success at all. And maybe it requires some rework. And I think that that aspect is really important and often um, not talked about enough. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Also, you mentioned change behavior. How do you make sure that we're helping to build that confidence in sellers? And how can practitioners enablement in particular really hone in on making sure that each seller that you're putting onto the phones is ready and going to, you know, smash that call first time? Yeah, you know, I think I think what you're kind of touching on here is how you build really effective training. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a few things that that I've seen over the years that make a big difference here. I think one of the first things is getting really specific about how you hope to help people with training. What is the specific thing you want them to do differently as a result of the training, and where are they actually stuck? Right. And sometimes it's easy to kind of launch into a training of to sort of unload on somebody if here all the ways I'm going to try to help you, but I don't really know what you need. And so I guess it'd be sort of like, you know, your, your car's having some issue, you pull into a shop and they start, they change the tires and they change the transmission and they change the belts in the engine and they wash your windows and they change the headlamps and you're, you have this huge bill at the end of it. Um, and you're not sure they actually fixed the thing you needed to be fixed, but you spent a lot of time and money doing it. And parts of your car are shinier now, but is it actually helping? And so, you know, as opposed to, hey, you know, I need help with this piece. You know, I have a squeal in my back left tire and I need a new brake pad and now we can go fix that. And, you know, that requires really talking to people, talking to their managers, understanding you know, specifically where they lack confidence or where they need the most support and recognizing that that can vary across different people. Secondly, it's about making training that's actually challenging. You know, I just got off the phone with a sales leader who said, I want a situation where all the training that my team takes is the hardest thing they ever do, because I want them to know that if they get through that training and they're successful, they'd be fully confident to face any situation they will with a customer. And many times I see enablement folks that, you know, many of us in the enablement field are pretty, you know, we're kind of nice people and we want, we want friends in the sales team and, you know, we don't, we don't want to push too hard and we want them to feel good about our training. The reality is if I go through training, that's really easy. I didn't get anything from it. If you push me in a productive way, push me to the edge of my comfort zone, now I'm really getting value and I'm really getting better. And training will be a good use of my time as opposed to looking back and saying, yeah, that was kind of nice. I had a good time hanging out with so-and-so, but I'm not sure that I'm actually any better for it at the end of the day. Yeah, really true. Some of the best trainings I've ever gone to (laughs) made me so intimidated. The the first time I'm ever going to get on the call with a customer, they're going to ask me all these really hard questions. And, you know, I have to remember all of these product specs, but then you get on a call and you're having a, a great conversation and it just so happens that there's this perfect opening where you get to pitch your product and it goes a hundred times easier than what you were prepped for in training. And so I, I have to agree. I would prefer training to be the hardest part of my job as opposed to when I actually get on the phone. If you had to wrap up the three components that are most important to keep in mind in order for everyone to drive consistent performance, what would you say those three components are? I think the first piece is just understanding where you are and understanding if there's an opportunity to improve consistency. Almost all cases, the answer is yes, there is. But the more crisp you can be about that will help focus you and help focus your leadership team on why this matters and what really the opportunity is in doing it. Next, you know, there's a lot we can do to to really robustly define winning behaviors, but I would say just pick one. 
pick one thing where you and your leadership team know that if only our people could do this thing differently, it would move the needle. It's not going to solve everything, but you know it's going to help things get better. And as we're in SKO season, I think as you think about the major themes you're anchoring your sales kickoff around, that probably points to a behavior where there's an opportunity where you know, because you're investing in building SKO content, that if people did that thing, you'd be better off. The third piece is to really swing all the way through on helping people master those behaviors. And so, you know, again, I think in SKO season here, have your SKO, but make sure you're following up with here's the content you use to action this thing we talked about. Here's where you find it. Here's where we guide you to how to use it. Here's the training program around it. Here's how to build confidence through getting coached and then hold people accountable for actually going and doing it in the real world and make sure you've got alignment with leadership. If you get pushback in any of that, they say, oh, we don't really need to do that. That's probably not that important. I think it's worth asking the question, is this behavior really important? Does this actually matter? Because if it's not worth the manager's time to follow up and coach, is it worth your time to put the stuff together? And more importantly, is it worth your team's time to sit through that session at SKO and do a bunch of training? So make sure that you really have that alignment across the teams, that this is what matters and we're willing to really drive it through. I love the recommendation that if you're receiving pushback, then it's time to ask the question, is this really important? And is it a priority that we should be spending our time on in an initiative we're trying to move forward? If you don't think it's that important, then maybe it's not. (laughs) You know, we can save a bunch of time and effort that way. Steve, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us for the first episode of the Win Win Podcast. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you, Marissa. Thanks for having me.